Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. I'm your host, Jen Taylor. A huge thank you and shout out to NGBN TV for sponsoring this podcast episode. Today we hear from Deneen Joyner. As a child, she could tap into other people's feelings, but learned not to show it. At 47, on her bathroom floor, she decided not to take her own life and instead got up and embraced her ability to heal others. Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. Today I have Deneen Joyner on. How are you today? I'm wonderful, Jen. Thank you for having me. So excited. And your website is DeneenJoiner.com. We'll have everything in the show notes, but please jump in and tell us about this because this is so fascinating to me. I'm so excited. So I, uh, I'm really excited about this website, Jen. It, it took me a while to, to really just pull in all the elements and the essence of the work that I do on behalf of my ancestors, which is Native American soul healing. Uh, the soul healing part has been in my family for over a century. And it is something that has been passed down generation to generation. And it got lost a little bit along the way. Um, there is a, a lag between generations and just not having all of the um, pieces to the soul healing. Uh, until I started a healing journey in 2011. And when I did the healing journey, a lot of the channeling abilities that I've had since I was five started to really uh, morph into even um, more. And so during this healing journey, I actually called on God and my ancestors to, to heal me and to help me with my life, and they did. And because I've been um, an ultimate journaler my whole life, I've journaled since I was 16 for the most part. And so my journal was a part of this healing journey. And so anytime they would speak to me, which was pretty much the whole entire time, I would just go and get my journal and just, you know, just take these copious notes that were just really coming on me. And, you know, and, and there was times when I really didn't know what it all meant but I knew that it was something juicy. And I said, I better hope, you know, make sure that I get and capture all of this. Cause I think this is gonna be helpful at some point. And it was. So what ended up happening was, you know, once I went through this walk of, you know, uncovering more about who I am, more about my ancestors and who they were, which were highly gifted souls, I knew that I could not just stop with me once I became healed from literally them channeling this antidote into my soul. And so I took all of that information and I came up with what most people will see on my website, which is me sharing a lot of the history of, of who we are and the soul healing practices. And I have different packages that I offer people so that I can work with them one-on-one -on -one. And also they can, um, all of this is self-guided work, mm. which is how it's designed. So unlike therapy on a lot of different levels where you go and sit with somebody for an hour or so and, 
you know, they're asking you questions and you're going back in time or you're talking in real time. Um, the work that I do uh, is, is more so empowerment based. And it really is focused more on um, the person becoming a student of their life. Mm. And so my ancestors believe that we all have everything that we need um, to heal ourselves. And so because we are the ones who were present during, you know, all of the events that have transpired in your life, it really just takes having the tools and the courage to be able to examine them in a different way. And so the website offers me and a lot of the legacy um, to which I just spoke of. And, and it's really unique in that a lot of people have not heard about Native American inspired soul healing. Um, and it's, it's really organic. And I think that's what people are looking for now. They really want to get away from, you know, necessarily having to go into therapy or um, to always, you know, reach for that prescription, mm -hmm. um, you know. And so this really, you know, uh, allows the person to take control of their life, which is really, you know, paramount to, to being able to begin in uh, a life of consciousness so that you can start your healing work. I adopted two kids that were native Alaskan. And so I think we've lost. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've lost. So I, so I, when I read that part, I was like, yeah, that's yes. so exciting. We've lost. Yeah. Can you talk to me about the marriage of the native American philosophies and God? Yes. I had this great friend that I ran with and I asked him and I loved his explanation. So I'm sure because I know for people who don't know a lot about the Native American her heritage, it seems like worlds apart. Right. And it really isn't. It really isn't. You know, it's Christian based um, in that, you know, we, we, you know, we all, and that's the funny part, like we all believe really in the same God. We just call it differently. Um, Native American people call God great spirit because he is the ultimate great spirit. And, you know, we, we, we definitely believe in um, his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is, you know, is the foundation for, for our beliefs. Um, and we, we really believe that, again, that a person who encounters pain, who has a great amount of pain in their life, to us, that means that they have a great destiny. Because, because we look at pain as preparation. For that destiny. So all of the pain, there's two types. There's the pain that great spirit sends, God, to prepare us for this human journey that we are on. We're, we're spirits first yeah. and foremost. And people lose sight of that. And I understand that just because of what is combated in being a human being, all of the things that happen, you know, in any given day, in any given month or year, you can lose sight that you're a spirit and that you're here for a purpose. We all, you know, have lost sight of that along the way. But my people believe that, you know, we are here just for that destiny. And so anything else really is jeopardizing that destiny when you give into forgetting why you're here. And if you're not open to being prepared, which means the pain, the pain is a part of um, the journey. And the pain is sent for preparation. 
But what ends up happening is most human beings will, because of their family, they will actually start to duplicate. Oh, yeah. So there's always two types of pain that's playing out in any given life at any given time. It's the pain that God sent to prepare you, and it's also the pain that you are duplicating. And so that makes for a pretty nasty life, right? <laughs> if you got all of that coming at you, you know, you, you, you tend to think like, why me? Like, why is all of this occurring? You know, why is it that I'm always attracted in this situation, this person, you know, whatever it is, but you're not really conscious and aware that you created half of that, okay? But the other half is, is part of the journey and is really there to actually prepare you for something greater. But we get, you know, we get really consumed with the pain in general and we lose sight and it's just a vicious cycle, you know? I call it, you know, how your computer buffers that's what happens, you know, when, when a person is distracted by the pain, you know, you can't go anywhere because you're so distracted, you're buffering, your soul is buffering as well. And so you can't move out of that. You can't move ahead. You know, you're stuck. So you hear people hear, say that all the time. I'm stuck. I feel unfulfilled. That's why. Yeah. I love that you are, you in, in uh, the email you sent me, you're Native American Nigerian, and you're try you had to try to understand the gifts of bloodlines from very two very distinct cultures. Yes, I'm a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that has so much to do with who you are on your website and how you approach things. Yes, it is. And so, to speak to that, you know, I grew up with with I started off with two parents. My mother is primarily, all of the people in her family are Native American. Okay. And then father is West Nigerian. And so um, both sides of my family, um, there was highly gifted healers. And I didn't know that again until I started my healing journey. I knew that my mother was Native American. We grew up with a lot of her culture and traditions, um, which encompasses storytelling and just basically knowing the plight of Native American people and who, you know, who we are, what we stand for, and, and having that connection that I just spoke of with the Great Spirit. Um, however, my father's side was lacking because they, they actually ended their marriage when, when I was 11. And so I didn't have my father to tell me anything really about that side of the family, the culture and you know, all of that. I really had to look into that on my own, which I was successful in doing, but it took me a while to do that, yeah. uh, where I could just, you know, go to my mom and ask her questions. And my mom actually was able to start the process for what I needed on my paternal side, because of fact, she was married to my dad for quite some time, and she knew his family and his lineage. Um, and so through her, I was able to start, you know, the journey of uncovering who I am, which is what I speak so much about in the work that I do with people. You know, just knowing your roots, knowing who you are, it makes a huge difference. And I know that there are some people, some listeners who maybe don't have, you know, um, the blessing of having someone like I did to actually sit down and, and, um, and share family history. 
but you could, you know, I'm a big proponent of having um, a DNA test. I love. Okay. Yes. Yes. And, you know, because that opens the door to um, really uncovering who you are, that bloodline, you know, can tell you a lot about, you know, your, your nuances, the things that, you know, that you, you really love and really don't understand why you love. And, you know, it, it really speaks to that, you know, those things that, you know, maybe you have always wondered about. The DNA test and ancestry test, I love 23andMe. I'm not being paid by them, but I love them. Um, I have had a, a DNA test myself um, probably six years ago, and you know, and I still have it, and it updates, and I've been able to locate, you know, um, cousins and you know a lot of different extended family members, and it helps me really to just understand even at a more deeper level a lot of my why questions. Wow! And so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about your book. I've bought it, but I haven't read it. Okay. So I'm, ex I'm super excited to read it. It's called Soul Wounds and Sacred Revelations. Yes. So I know I'm jumping all over the website right now. Well, let's do it. <laughs> Tell me about it. And I'm so proud that you're an author. So thank you. I know from one to another, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, you know what it takes. So you're like, oh, bless you for getting that done. <laughs> Tell me about it. Don't tell me too much because I haven't read it yet, but no. Okay. All right. So the, the book really chronicles my journey with hitting rock bottom. So the day that I was actually faced with contemplating ending my life in my bathroom, literally with a handful of pills and glass of water, because I had struggled for 47 years of my life with carrying a lot of pain, unresolved pain. And so the, the book actually starts at me in the bathroom with the pills and water and deciding that this was my fate, that I had had enough, that I could no longer carry it anymore. I didn't know what else I could do. There was no more tricks in my bag to pull from. And I thought that this was basically how my life would end, that I would you know, ended by suicide. And um, so the book picks up there and it actually takes you through my decision to not end my life, but to really just find the, the courage and the love that it really took for myself. To love myself enough not to kill myself was huge. Yeah. And so the book takes you through literally what that took for me to go from ground zero to actually get the courage to do something different, which was to surrender my life over to God and ask him to be my teacher. And not only that, but to no longer deny the gifts that I had since I was five. Mm. And so that book really, you know, it, it's a, it's a, you know, <laughs> it's a really good read. It really is because it really shows people you know, what that journey is like. And it's not, you know, sugar-coated at all. It's raw, it's real. I share, you know, the, the utmost pain that I had been carrying and, you know, what it took for me to really examine it and see it for what it was and to be able to release it so that I could clear my soul enough to actually move forward to my destiny. Wow. 
And now you also speak too. So to yes. finish, I mean, I don't know what else you're doing on that website, but I know the book, the speaking, um, you know, you do a lot of coaching and yes. What, yes. what's the speaking like? How you're taking like all of this, this culmination of a lot of information and presenting it. Yes. Yes. I love, you know, under that, that is uh, what I call the storyteller in me, mm -hmm. which was passed down to me literally from my mother. As I mentioned before, my mother used to, you know, bring, um, I'm daughter number seven. And so my mother would bring all of her daughters um, every evening. We would sit down at her feet and she would tell us a story about an ancestor in, in my family. And so these people to me, seemed so far off in the distance and they didn't feel like people that you know were related to me because they had already lived some time and they had already passed on and you know but to hear my mom speak of them and tell us about you know their life and all of their the things that they had to face and endure um you know it, it was beautiful and so i have uh i believe you know that that knack for storytelling for sure and so I like to use that when I'm in the company of an audience to be able to, to talk about emotional pain in a way that they've never heard it before, using the foundation of my ancestors and getting them to become more curious about their life. And, and not only that, but I also share uh, what the soul, um, the, the role of the soul, um, which is really um, to protect our spirit. So the soul was, you know, was designed to basically be a guard to the spirit. So when you hear people say, you know, my spirit has been broken, um, you know, I just feel like my spirit is, is broken low, you know, I know that it feels like that, but I want them to know that there is nothing that could ever break your spirit. The soul is um, standing guard in front of your spirit. And so nothing could ever, you know, penetrate it. Nothing could ever disrupt your spirit. It is a buffer. And the soul also is a recorder. So I share that as well. So it has recorded even before you came. And so that, that um, conversation that we had with, with God before we came into our being and before we were even placed inside our mother's womb, that conversation was etched on our souls. Okay. And so it's because of that, that we can never lose sight of it. And so when we feel off, when we feel unfulfilled, when we feel the angst, it's because of that etching. It's because we know deep down inside that we are off course and we don't know often what to do to get back on course, but we do feel that. We feel that something is not right. And it is the soul trying to recalibrate us recalibrate our steps, recalibrate our knowing, and trying to awaken us to that consciousness so that we can remember why we're here. The, the thing that I love about any kind of energy work, first of all, my favorite people who do energy work are the ones that talk about it through God. Yes. I there are so many mixed messages about religion and energy work like they're two my husband and i have this disagreement all the time i'm right <laughs> so, but i'm like you know there it's the same thing they're it is. About the same thing in different words and most 
people that I have spoken to use God as the person. Oh, for sure. Right? I couldn't do it without him. Right. Yeah. I could not do it without him. All of my gifts come from him, you know, and, you know, and, and they have, like I said, they have really matured because of my, you know, my connection, my, my um, embrace, my embrace of them and, and, you know, just, just being honored to really understand why they're here and, and for me to be able to offer them, um, you know, to other people who are, are in the throes of um, a struggle or, you know, trying to um, turn their life around, whatever that means for them, just giving them the, you know, the tools to be able to do it mm -hmm. um, and the encouragement and the hope that is needed for a person to believe that it is possible to, to live without pain. And you facilitated most of this, your journey on your own, or found yes. resources too. Yes. For me, working with someone, it's that, because energy workers have this thing about how they're like, I'm just facilitating, you're doing the healing. Yeah, but without that facilitation, That's I don't right. know what to even ask. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. I, I, you know, take on the role as a guide is what I call myself when I'm working with somebody, you know, for that reason, because I want them to know it's a partnership. It really is, you know, and so I'm vested in, you know, making sure that they have the tools and the understanding because it becomes a lifestyle practice. Um, what I show them and impart to them. It really is a lifestyle practice. It has to become one because of the fact that you never know when a memory, um, you know, or a night terror or whatever it is you want to call them will, you know, creep up and you're left to, to deal with it. And so you have these tools to be able to deal with it and to actually partner with the energy is what they learn how to do. So instead of, you know, what most people do, which is basically, you know, they don't face the pain yeah. um, or they stuff it down, you know, that's working against it. You know, my ancestors believe that, you know, pain is an, is an energy force. It wants to be honored. And so the way that you honor it is that you acknowledge that it's there, number one. You acknowledge that it's there and then you give it permission to tell you whatever it is that you need to know. And it comes in the form of a lesson. Okay. Wow, probably have a lot of those I haven't been listening to. <laughs> uh, but right. It's, you're right. I mean, you know, I, I know when I look at people and I say, that person's a volcano. They're just mm -hmm. stuffing it down and they're gonna, yes. at some point you can't do that. But you need help with that. How cool, so I wanna go back in time so you can share your story leading up to six years ago when you were like tapped out on the floor in your bathroom and deciding mm -hmm. something needed to change. So let's go back in time. Start me where you are, where you're comfortable with your story. Okay, sure. Girls, you told me. I'm sorry, what did you say? You we're the youngest of seven girls. Yes, yes. Yes. Oh. All seven, I know. And so my parents tell me this story that I was um, not planned. They had used two different contraceptives <laughs> to try to keep me from coming. Can you believe that? But anyway, God had a, had a different reason for me. He knew that, that I was needed. And so I came anyway. And so here I am. And so, you know, it, it, it's telling in, in knowing that, you know, despite 
might not be planned and you know the lengths that they went through to to not have me here that i'm here it's apparent that there was a struggle for me on my life and that's how i looked at it you know when they told me that story and then you know what transpired even after you know there was there was always some form of struggle associated with with me and and, and living my life and you know at the age of five I started to sense and feel other people's energy surrounding pain. Mm. And I didn't really understand how or why I could do this. I knew I had this, you know, this, this old wisdom. I've always been a wise soul. Even at five, I knew things that there was no way that I should have known. Um, you know, I was giving out advice. And I mean good advice. I was giving out advice at five years old until people told me to stop, you know, because they started to become fearful of what I was saying. And because I was in a child's vessel, they did not receive it well, you know, and I didn't have a filter. So I was really just telling all kinds of stuff <laughs> that I shouldn't have been, you know, telling, but I was telling it. And so that went on for a while. And then I started to disown my gifts because people were starting to disown me it's so hard and you're a parent it's so hard for me to embrace the gifts that like kids are just so like you said unfiltered right it's such a beautiful thing yes. but it's also sometimes not a beautiful thing or yeah to package it in a way and it's always been so hard like i remember thinking i'm not going to squash my kids natural curiosity and abilities and what they want to say until they ask the lady in line why both for front teeth are black or you know like they yes you have to balance out like not squashing your kids but making their making them understand that the presentation or the that's it thing that's it. or it's so hard. It's it is hard. It is hard. It is difficult. Kid that was getting squashed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I learned, I learned that I should not share myself on that level. I started to become ashamed of these gifts because, you know, because I really didn't feel free to talk to anybody about them how I could, you know, how I could do these things, why I knew certain things before they happened, you know, why it felt like things had occurred that didn't occur. Um, so all of these things were playing out, you know, as I, as I grew into um, my teens. And by the time I was a teenager, I decided that, you know, I'm just not even, I'm not even going to say anything anymore. I don't want to feel these things anymore. I really just, you know, I just want to be by myself. And so I started to be a hermit at that point. Literally, I would just go to school and I would come home and I did not want to really be around anybody, including my sisters. I really did not want to be around anybody. So I really just stayed in my room, you know, or if somebody was, you know, everybody was in one area, then I would go into another area. I really was just starting to get depressed about who I was and not knowing what these gifts were for, I started to feel like I was cursed. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about your dad too, because that had to have played a pivotal part. Oh my goodness. Yes. 
So my dad had been in and out, literally. If I, you know, I can actually probably count on one hand and that would have been from birth to 11 when he finally decided to leave. Um, the times that he actually, that I can recall him actually sleeping under our roof. And I would say it was probably maybe four times, maybe, might even be less. What he would do is he would come in and out. You know, he was actually like a playboy. He was an entrepreneur, very successful entrepreneur. And um, he owned a nightclub. And so he was often in the nightclub and I'm sure meeting all different types of women and womanizing and, you know, um, so he, he was more out than in. And when he was home, he was very volatile verbally towards my mother and physically abusive towards her too. So I knew all of this. And because I was the youngest, I was pretty much the closest to her. And I could, you know, I was really privy to all of this going on because their room literally was next door to mine. Okay. So I would, yeah. So I would often hear all of the, you know, the, the fights and the arguments and him accusing her of cheating on him, you know, which really it's him, you know, we all know that game, you know? So that's what he was doing. And I could, you know, overhear this and, you know, and then, and then, you know, he would beat her up and then he would leave. And I was left, you know, to, to go in and console her, to get a cold cloth, to, you know, to just try to make her feel better. And if you can imagine just a little girl having to do this countless times and just seeing this, you know, I never knew, you know, that somebody could even hit really somebody else, you know, like adults. I never knew that adults, you know, and, and not to mention a man hitting a woman, like that was like very scary to be in it that being my mother, took it to a whole nother level, yeah. you know? So I started to hate him and be angry at him for doing this to my mother and, and, and not being a father. Again, having that old soul wisdom, knowing that this is not what a father does. Um, and knowing that a father is supposed to be present with his children under one roof every night, not just some nights. So I knew all of this. Nobody told me. I knew it. Right. Just innately. Yes. I, kids come with such gifts. I know, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about the things that you knew innately as a kid that just made sense to you. You thought everybody thought that or felt that. Yes. But then yes. if mine are different, well, I thought these things, you know, if all the kids got together, it would be a much happier world. <laughs> right. Because you know that it's not right, but you don't have the experience. You can't tap into the... Uh, years of knowledge or you don't have that ability to do that um, to make that make sense yes no it's not right so you knew this about your dad and then you said you weren't as close to your sisters as you started to pull away as you got older so he's gone yes was that a relief partially no it, it, it wasn't it was a deep sadness because that was the first time that I realized that parents could leave their children. And, you know, and it became even more a deep sadness when he, he never, you know, he never really looked back. He, there was a few times, I would say maybe several months after he decided that he wanted to, to end his marriage with my mother that, and I think it was really just out of just 
he just felt like he should be doing something that he felt like he wanted to come and pick up me and my sister who's five years above me he wanted us to come and spend some time with him at his new house with his new wife and so that was that was a really um, emotional situation for me um and i you know i i missed him so much that i subjected myself to that um and and also i had chronic asthma at the time which i know was really symbolic of just internalizing all of this not being able to to talk about my emotions and my feelings and you know and carrying them um so it started to really attack um, my lungs and so I had chronic asthma and I would go to his house and he had two German shepherds and so that was not fun for me for a person who already you know cannot breathe and then to be subjected to dogs and dander and everything else it just really just really made it really just difficult for me to visit him and I, it took me a while to actually finally decide that I could no longer go to visit him because I was so sick. Every time I would return home, I would be just, just so sick. Almost, I mean, sometimes I was even hospitalized behind, you know, not being able to breathe because I would, you know, just wanted to be in his presence and to be around him. And I finally decided I couldn't do it. And I told my mother, I cannot visit him anymore. I cannot. So it wasn't even, you know, that my mother made the choice for me. I made it. I made the choice not to go. Um, and I believe on some levels in doing that, you know, it made it so it, it really severed our relationship when I decided not to subject myself anymore. Um, I never, you know, had a conversation with him about why I wasn't coming. I just told him I wasn't coming anymore. And that was pretty much it. And so that was when I was 11, I guess, or so. And, you know, from that time on, I, I never had really a relationship with him. And little by little, you're, you're shutting yourself down too. Yes. You're detaching from your siblings, you're detaching from people. And it changed the dynamic with your mom too. How, how did that change when your dad left at, at your mom's house? Yeah, so, so my mom became the sole um, you know, breadwinner, you know, so we went from two family income to one and, you know, and trying to feed all of these children plus herself on a nurse's aides income was really difficult. She went back to school to become a nurse, but that took some time. So we suffered, we were neglected. No, no, you know, sugarcoating it. We, we didn't have, uh, what we needed, forget what we wanted. We didn't have what we needed. My mother had to often, decide if she was going to pay, you know, to keep the gas on or if she was going to go to the grocery store and, you know, and have groceries for a few days. And sometimes she picked groceries, sometimes she picked heat. So, you know, we went out, we went, you know, we went without for most, I would say most of my childhood, that's what it was like. It was, you know, never, you know, never knowing what we were gonna eat being embarrassed um to not be able to have the things that other children had mm -hmm. and and just you know just having that that sense of suffering because you know one person decided to leave 
and and not you know and not be responsible i i really didn't hold him you know um for leaving i held him you know responsible because he did not take care of his children yeah yeah there's different levels or different issues attached with those different levels and it changes how you view money and oh for sure and relationships because you you saw an abusive neglectful relationship at first yes he was just gone so um yeah you have self-worth at that you know oh it was gone i had none you know and i say that in my book the day that my dad left he he took everything he brought he, he took my heart he took my self-esteem any value that i had he took all of that with him and the reason why i say that is because when it comes to um, a father and his daughter or or a mother and her son those dynamics are imperative for us in developing relationships with opposite sex mm -hmm. and so if you don't have that to go off of you don't have a blueprint then you're making it as you go along and most of it you know whatever you're making up is is not the truth you know and you know and again you're attracting in that pain that i said you know that we are often you know um playing off of because we've created it you know that's that's what i was doing you know as far as you know not having that responsible loving man in my life as my father my role model i didn't have that you know so it was difficult for me when it came to having you know a real relationship with a man um i can say that i've never had anybody you know physically abuse me um or verbally but i did have someone recently um a marriage that i ended who was financially abusive towards me mm. it's so interesting how we take our baggage and i remember a therapist having this uh uh, seminar about how we learn in our lives as kids what we decide moving forward is unacceptable based on what we've seen like physical abuse is a great thing like physical abuse is unacceptable and I want a relationship kind of like this although we've never seen it so we're shooting in the dark a little bit mm -hmm. but there's all this gray area in between we kind of don't know what to do with it so like you just brought up financial abuse like you, you don't see that you just know that physical abuse isn't okay and yes. I relationship then all this stuff in the middle we have no idea what to do with or how to recognize it or and i remember i remember hearing him say this and thinking oh okay there's gray area <laughs> yes yes for sure yeah, yeah end up perpetuating and i was like well i will never perpetuate this no you'll do it in a totally different way <laughs> He won't hit you it's gonna be financial you're gonna do the same thing though that's just gonna sneak up on you it'll be new and improved right <laughs> yeah you're gonna 2.0 your childhood isn't that a good news <laughs> oh my gosh so yes yeah, so we tend to all uh, because you know there aren't many like perfect childhoods where i came out of it knowing this is the type of relationship i want and even yes your you're dating people that come with we all come with this different baggage that we have yes. together yes fascinating so 
you were becoming, at what point did you become aware, like, I can't squash this anymore? Was it bubbling up, this cycle? Oh, yeah. Everything had been bubbling up. The pain, the gifts, you know, my, my entire life, you know, was, was really, you know, me developing, you know, these skills and coping methods to be able to try to keep things at bay. Right. And, you know, and I learned to do that, like I said, for, for quite a while from the time that for like 40 years, that's a long time. Good job. Way to go. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> Until there was no more room, you know, again, because our soul can only hold but so much room, you know, um, the, the pain and trauma takes up the most space within our soul. And so, you know, if you're not clearing it, if you're not honoring it, if you're not healing it, then of course it's going to go into a reservoir until you do. And if and when you do, you know, then you're better off. If you don't, then what, what will happen is what happened to me, which is that I hit rock bottom because there was no more room left in my soul. And so then that's divine intervention. So God is basically saying it's time to wake up, Denise, because you've had 40 years and you still have not done anything with this pain. And we need you to do something with it because we have something waiting for you that's been waiting forever. You know, and we need you to get it. We need you to get it right. We need you to heal. We need you to face everything. And so, you know, it, it took me a while, um, you know, even knowing that, even realizing that, okay, so I'm not going to end my life, but now what is this new life going to look like? And how do I get to this new life? And, you know, what is healing going to ask of me completely, you know? And it was a journey. I will say that it took me... A little over three years even though maybe it doesn't sound like a lot of time but it was when you're in the throes <laughs> of, of you know wanting to heal and needing to heal three years is a long time yeah. and you know but I stuck to it and you know and and thank God I did you know because now I understand why I needed to you know to heal why all of the pain had to happen and, you know, it was definitely to fortify me and for me to be able to now fulfill the destiny of helping others. What you did the, the DNA test, that was one thing. What I want to talk about some of the different tools you use and how those made a difference. So we can start with that because you like the, I'm so excited that you mentioned that because I've been very curious. Like, yeah. I don't know what it's going to do. I mean, I think. Yeah on my dog because she drives me a little crazy but <laughs> you know like w will this uncover anything about me it it's interesting but it will it be valuable I believe it will because when I actually looked at like I had already known like I said I already knew you know primarily my roots yeah. um I already knew that however you know when I did take the test you know, I just really just wanted to go deeper with it. I wanted to really just start uh, research, you know, on these groups of indigenous people um, that I come from, both sides. I wanted to learn, you know, the, the language that they speak. I wanted to, to know, you know, what types of food did they eat? Oh. I, wanted to, I wanted to know, you know, how do they, you know, what do they feel about God? What are their beliefs? And what I uncovered was a lot of their ancient beliefs are, were innate for me. 
it was it was just like I was blown away a, a lot of the similarities that were already a part of of who I am and you know just understanding uh, really just the the traditions you know the the different cultural traditions that that each of these um, distinct uh, people had and how they intersect a lot you know they really um they really revere Holy Spirit and 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 that connection and and just being open being open sources to to being able to to be spoken to by God and and being open to that and and taking that information and using it for their highest good um you know when it comes to planting you know their crops to you know to birthing their children to to um you know prophesizing about something that was going to happen and preparing for that um and so all of these things you know were just like wow you know and 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 i think that if you were to do you know a dna test i think that it would definitely give you your bloodlines for sure yeah it would allow you to become more curious about those people and you know and then it would give you you know just basically just more to go off of more than just saying you know um you know what you've been saying who you are up until now i think it'll it'll take you deeper and that's for sure. it for you i just i find that so I, well you know you had me at tradition so for people <laughs> This might be for you, but I was really big when I started having kids at having traditions so that because that created memories that they could yeah. take when they moved out on their own. And so to think about it in that perspective, like that makes my brain click where it might do something else for someone else. For somebody else, yes. I think I think people will will find their own way when they have, you know, a DNA test, when they get their results. I think that it will trigger something and they will they will know just instinctively like which way they want to take things um i also used it to uncover emotional i started to i wanted to find out their you know as much as i could about their emotional framework how did they you know how did they express their emotions um you know when when they were um dealing with an event that was traumatic or painful, you know, what, what did that look like? What did that feel like? Um, and how did they, you know, how did they adopt um, whatever it was? How did they take that on? And, you know, and what I have discovered on both sides of my family, like I said, you know, um, pain was, was really revered. It was not, it was not, it's not like it is here um you know we're you know we all run from it we don't want to we're uncomfortable talking about it um you know we're, we're uncomfortable um crying um or or sharing you know anything that has to do with something that is related to pain um you know we we look at it differently we look at it as you know something to um uphold it somebody is that thing that's going on it's something that they need to uncover and discover about themselves and you know will they be courageous enough to to face that if god gives that to you if he sends that into your life then it means that there is a purpose for it and that you might not know what it is right now but if you stay the course 
and you allow it to shape you and mold you into what it is that is waiting for you, you will discover that later on. Right. But most people don't have those abilities. And I understand that because even though I came from these two cultures who highly revere it, I didn't have that knowing for myself until I actually got still and got quiet and went back in time and realized where I came from and how my people actually endured so much more greater than I did. I know that you hit the point where you were on the floor and you were suicidal and you decided to make a change. And then that was part of the change, which is really fascinating to me. What else did you do in that three years of discovery prior to launching the business and completely changing this? What were the other things that were the most helpful for you in getting through everything? So I, uh, I was a social worker for, for about 18 years. And so I actually started to, to use a lot of my case management skills on myself. <clears throat> which was like incredible. I decided to actually look at the journals that I had mentioned to you that I had actually the chronicle pretty much my whole entire life. And I decided to remove myself in being judgmental. So I took all of the elements of myself out of the picture and I decided to look at these journals the way that I would look at somebody who I had been assigned to. And so I looked at them with an open heart and open mind. And so I started to really just approach it in that fascination and that curiosity. I wanted to know first who this woman was, where did she come from? What type of family did she grow up in? And I was able to fact gather and get all of that information just being curious and wanting to know who is this woman and, and who were the people that she was around when she was growing up and how she came to be. And I started to use that more and more, basically just taking myself out. And I often offer that to people I work with in being, you know, taking the judgment part of it, taking the shame, taking the blame, all of those elements out of it. When you become a student of your life, which is what I did, and which is what I empower the people that I work with to do, you actually take all of those elements out and you see your life in a different way because you're really literally starting to look at your life for clues. That is so cool. Okay. <laughs> so if you're able to do that, if you're able to, you know, really just you know, remove yourself out of it, if you will, and actually approach it that I'm actually a student now of my life. So I want to learn everything that I can about myself. And in doing that, you know, I have all of the answers because I was there. And so, you know, you're starting to actually unravel and you're actually starting to look for pieces to the puzzle. And, you know, most people want to know, you know, how they came to be as far as their pain. You know, why is it so much? You know, why have I decided to carry it? You know, you can get those answers by actually just studying your first family, which is the family you grew up in. A lot of what we have adopted has been unconscious. 
But if you're able to sit down and actually do what I call a soul map, what actually starts to look at your first family and those emotions, what did it feel like when certain things occurred? Who said what? What was the unspoken rules? All of these things factor into how we are showing up in real time right now, unknowingly. And so it was basically for me going backwards. Mm -hmm. You have to go back in order to gather all of this information, but not necessarily going back to re relive, you know, relive the events that caused you the pain. That's later on. But really, you're just going back to fact gather as to how my emotional framework came to be. Wow. I think that's so fascinating. So when you bring people into your, I'm so glad you mentioned that you were a social worker because they knew that and I had completely backfired <laughs> the whole fact. Yeah, you actually, you know, finished some degrees and did these jobs. It wasn't just... <laughs> Um, but I, the story's so fascinating that I completely forgot about that. Right. <laughs> that you used your case management skills in order to do, I love that. I love the skill sets that we build through our lives now yes. through work that we don't realize we can use in all these other ways. So I love that you did that. And now, so now for years you've been you switch, you switch your case management from social work to embrace your past ancestry. Yes. All those, what a great marriage. Oh. oh. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's so powerful, Jen. I mean, I can't even articulate the way that I feel right now from, you know, healing in 2014. And that was really just the beginning of, you know, my journey, my new journey with really just, you know, then I had to really just integrate everything into, you know, into a new way. Um, like you said, all of the skills, everything that I have, you know, encountered, you know, all of my experiences, personal, professional, you know, all of my skills, all of my talents, all of my gifts, um, everything that I am is what I bring to the table now in, in the business that I do. And it's an honor of, you know, two legacies. Um, literally of people, you know, who, um, you know, was waiting on me really to take up the torch because, you know, I'm the heir to, to my family's soul healing legacy. And so, you know, it's, it's more than just me having a business, yeah, you know, and it's more than me saying it's a family business, <laughs> you know, this has been going on for, you know, for, for a century now, uh, with the, you know, the soul healing, and, you know, my having these abilities, I have to share quickly that, you know, even that took on, um, it was really challenging at first for my ancestors because I can still hear them. I channel, you know, I meditate and talk to them and they talk to me. And so they had difficulty being in the 21st century, allowing me to do certain things the way that I have been doing you know, like with the social media, with the website, and just being so visible, you know, to them, all of that is superficial. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a difficult um, line that I'm crossing. Yeah. But they trust me so much. They trust me. You know, they entrusted this role to me, and they understand that I have to do certain things 
in a different way now. Yeah. But I can still sense and feel some heaviness and reservation, you know, as I move forward and do certain things. Do you have a relationship with your parents, either of them? And what about your sisters? Um, my mother's still living. She's 90. So we're very close. My father um, actually passed three years ago. Um, and that was devastating because, as I mentioned, I, I didn't have that relationship with him ever again uh. from childhood. And, you know, and a few of my siblings, you know, kept in touch with him off and on. So I always knew where he was and what he was doing, um, you know. And so then when he became ill, you know, um, I actually knew the days leading up to it that he was about to die without anybody even telling me. And I reached out to my sisters and I actually said that he's about to pass. So, you know, you should prepare for it. And, it, you know, and it happened like the next day. Um, as far as my sisters, yes, I, I have a, a good relationship with them. Um, you know, I am the black sheep of the family. I have to say that. So, um, you know, I, I fit in as much as they will allow me to and as much as, as, much as I will allow myself um, you know, when, when you, when you sense and feel that you're the black sheep and, you know, you don't always feel the receptive love that you know that you deserve, you kind of just shun away and, you know, just kind of keep yourself, you know, um, away just to protect yourself. So I've learned to do that and I'm trying to do better when it comes to that now, because now I understand why I had to be the black sheep because I was actually being prepared for the role that I have now. So it's been, you know, it's been a learning curve for me to take all of these experiences and now, you know, go back and, you know, even heal a lot of the relationships, um, you know, in my family because of it. Yeah. So people know how to find you. Uh, I, I'm, let's let's wrap up like what you would have told your younger self or that that feeling you have for that person who comes to you feeling that devastation like i i don't know how to handle this pain and what are those steps because you also from social work i know personally learned compassion and empathy mm -hmm. and to look at the bigger picture and so how do you best help people that are hearing this and wanting to come to you and make some sort of change but feel a little lost within that i would tell them that the feeling that you know that they're tapping into you know that inner turmoil and the dialogue that's telling them that you know what's the use mm. you know i would tell them to shut that down immediately and because of the fact that they are tapping into the angst and the turmoil is really the sign that they need, that there is something, there is something better for them. They don't have the answers and that's okay. It's okay to say that you don't know, mm -hmm. but I do know. And I know that I have helped a lot of people go from the point of giving up, ground zero, feeling stuck and unfulfilled and feeling depressed, and within one conversation, they have hope and belief that they can do it. So I would say that, you know, if they feel that, if they feel that struggle, 
they're really that's the sign that's really spurring you on that there is something more and i know it's hard to really believe that that the struggle is really something telling you that there's something greater inside you but trust me it is i've been there before i know what it feels like and look at me now this is the happiest i've ever been in my life and so if it was not true i would not even say it but it is yeah it's getting past that resistance huh yes yeah yes. thank you so much for being on this was so thank you for having me jen Thank you for joining today. It's been a pleasure. You can find me at momof18.com and on social media platforms as momof18. A huge thank you to NGBN TV for sponsoring this podcast episode.